0: News. News. News, news 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 New York City
1: the FAQ NYC podcast
0: getting more and more interesting by the minute. FAQ. F-A-Q. <laughs> it's FAQ NYC. I'm Harry Siegel, Brooklyn, here with Professor Christina Greer, her office in Manhattan. Oh well. Hello there. And Katie Onan of the City in Queens. How goes it?
2: Oh not bad. How are you guys doing?
0: No comment. <laughs> right, I'm crawling across the finish line, Katie.
2: Uh, me too, but but I have, I have good news. I, today, successfully beat a parking ticket in New York City for the first Whoa. time. Whoa! No. Okay. Is it a PG story? Yeah, no, basically, I, I, <laughs> I parked my car in Queens Boulevard to get a slice of pizza, and I forgot that Queens Boulevard is till 10, not 7, like everyone else. So the guy came out, he was just handing me a ticket, but... I won't, I mean, I'm not going to get the guy in trouble, but he told me pay on the app or put it in because you have a six minute grace period. So basically the guy who gave me the ticket um, told me how to beat it. He said, do you have the six minute grace period? As long as you pay, you know, I paid my 25 cents for 15 minutes and then submitted it on the pay or dispute app. And today a judge cleared me. Wow. I felt like I could have flown. You when could I have saw like, that. scaled the Empire State Building. I have. <laughs> I, I felt like I finally beat the system. Sure, I should have paid. You know, I I get it, but within it was within minutes. So I felt so that is a trick for listeners who drive. Um, if you drive, if there's within that six minute period, you get a ticket within that. You could just pay retroactively, and and you can download the app. That's beautiful. I mean, yeah, and I don't really
3: feel like you've scammed the system because I mean six minutes thank you first yeah. one, but like it's six minutes. I mean, come on.
2: Yeah, I wasn't scamming, you know, I just, sometimes you got to just get one over for my yeah. years of driving and my years of, you know, forgetting Absolutely. what day I parked on, you know, the the years of, did I park in a Tuesday spot? Is that the, the sweet, you know, the street sweeper? Yeah. And
3: then I, uh, my mom came to town and I didn't realize that in my neighborhood, there was that Saturday. I didn't realize it had Saturday street sweeping. So we went out to get bagels and coffee and I saw that she had a ticket and I was like, ugh. so I take the ticket off of the car And, you know, I was like, mom, I'll just handle it. Don't worry about it. We go get the bagels and coffee. And I forgot we were still within that hour and a half window. So when we came back, there was another ticket. No, And I was like, oh, Chrissy, you're on some rookie New York nonsense. This is last year. And I was like, I've been in this city for decades, plural. And I don't. So, yeah, I just I had two tickets within like 15 minutes. It's brutal. P.S. Harry, I think we need to circle back. I saw an amazing play. Called Colored water this weekend um, at the public, but it reminded me of when we had Ibrahim Abdul Mateen on the podcast many years ago. Not his most recent visit, but the one when we were at the NYU studios, and he recommended that we all get our water tested and just call three one one, and they will send out the free water kit. This play was all about Flint and the the water crisis. Oh, wow! So I did want to remind our listeners three one one, and you know, part of the Bloomberg legacy, which I will give him full credit for, was to protect our water shed and, and sort of protect the integrity of our water. So if you call, they will send you out a free water kit. I got mine within 24 hours. It literally took me five minutes. You have to run the water and just fill up the, the bottles that they send you. They send you the labels, they send you the box. Everything is super easy and you just throw it back in the mail and then you get a water quality printout. Um, it's as much for you to know about your water quality as it as it is for the city to know about the quality of water in various neighborhoods um, because, you know, there's the city infrastructure that's underground. There's sort of the the pipes that lead into your buildings. Uh, and then there's the pipe that leads into your apartment. And they're trying to make sure if there are any issues, they can sort of catch it before uh, we have a crisis on our hands. So I strongly suggest I did it before and you, Harry, Alex, and Adam were supposed to do it and you didn't. And so now I'm reminding you so we can do it for 2022 so we can all go into the new year with clean water on our
0: minds. I like it's it. Two years late on this homework. I'm, I'm getting it done now.
3: You know, what? I'm just going to call the girls. I'm going to call your girls. They'd love to do it. I mean, because it's literally you should mm-hmm. let the faucet run for a little bit and then you put it in these two little bottles. You label them. Um, but 311 makes it super easy. All you do is put in your information and there you go.
0: And they get the bus dad in the process for failing right. to his
3: home. <laughs> I love it.
0: And so in a little bit, we're going to be hearing an interview uh, with, uh, with Zellner long uh, longtime FAQ guest as well as uh, state senator and <laughs> uh, head of the, uh, the elections committee there about his new report on New York's elections and uh, the bipartisan disaster that is the Board of Elections and uh, why all the good Democratic reforms just uh, got hammered at the ballot. Uh, But before that, at least a few New York things to uh, take off on. Um, I'm going to run the list and then you guys jump in wherever you'd like. Uh, We've got a new Siena poll showing Kathy Hochul way up. Uh, In the 30s, Tish James next at 16. Interestingly, the poll also shows shows that fighting crime in communities across New York is now the top concern of voters overall and tied for the uh, top concern of Democrats even. We have the Blasio mandate madness um, as he's just kitchen sinking it on his way out with a new mandate for private sector employees. Uh, As well, by the way, as for five to 11 year old kids for a whole number of activities that would take effect four days before he leaves office. Businesses would have like, get the actual guidance for what this means like a week before that. Uh, Adams is yet to respond. His friends at the New York Post uh, have an editorial today saying he should uh, reject this, which given that relationship suggests Adams may have already made that call. We'll see. And we have the city council speakers race, which is the worst. Um, <laughs> as Katie was just saying before we came on, it really is. Uh, it's all mysterious and they have to have forms and pretend it's a public thing, but they're the only people who get votes and it all happens behind doors. We don't get any disclosure about the money that's spent till afterwards. It all sucks. And the news is the Daily News is reporting, I believe, that uh, not Eric Adams, but all of Eric Adams' uh, people's are uh, making calls for uh Moya that he should be the guy although they also mentioned that Adams would be cool with Brannon.
2: Yeah. I know it's it's a it's a flurry of did you you know who's up who's down it changes all the time. I mean the reporting on it I find fascinating but um sometimes I just think oh we'll know soon enough, you know. <laughs> I guess you could say that about everything. I'll know soon enough. Just wake me up. Time when. will tell.
3: Yeah. <laughs> the, time will tell. Katie, i going to come with the hot takes. Did you know that time will tell? <laughs> well, no, soon enough. Well, I mean, I do have a question for my two favorite reporters on, on the call. because Is someone does, else on the call? No, <laughs> go on, Katie. Come on, girl from Queens. I love it. Um, but it does. We've said this a few times. Every week, it seems as though there's a new kind of leader in the race potentially. Um, and I remember this from four years ago when when we went through this before. Do you, one, do either of you have any predictions? And two, I mean, I read a piece today about Gail Brewer um, and sort of the pros and cons. I mean, it seems as though because we have the top three leaders are all men, all from Brooklyn, you know, do you think descriptive representation will come into play or do you really think that the city council members don't really care of the 51? Like they don't really care about having a woman. They don't really care that there is no Latinx representation. They don't really care that, you know, they find someone who's not from the Bronx. Like how much will those factors actually play into the decision of the 51? Because keep in mind for our listeners, as we've said before, the voters have nothing to do with this decision. It's just between the 51 council members.
2: Yeah. Um, I think they care about the representation, but um, you know, in, in speaking with some of the candidates for an explainer story we did at the city, it's, um, I, I I handled, I spoke to Adrian Adams and Francisco Moya. They both touted their outer borough bona fides. And the last, um, three speakers have been from Manhattan. Um, Mm. I mean, diverse, I guess. in, in that we had a Latina, we had a white woman and a white man, um, you know, LGBT for, uh, Corey and, and Christine Quinn. But yeah, I, th- I think it, it does matter, but that I think there's just so much wheeling and dealing that at the end of the day, um, some of the things that are important to people kind of, especially demographic wise, go out the window if there's something that has been cut or whatever, you know, some kind mm-hmm. of agreement. But yeah, it's just a it's, a, it's a, it's like if you, if anyone's a college basketball fan, it's sort of like you check the net rankings every week but at least that has a theory right of like games one and everything this just seems who's got the votes who's got it i don't know and when Maybe, exactly I mean, is their vote january what it's the first week of january you know whenever the first uh state it is i hadn't i don't know the exact date but um Not sure. yeah there's just a lot going on as harry noted um the mayor announced Monday on MSNBC in an exclusive interview with Morning Joe. Not that we're bitter about it. Um, just having to watch Morning Joe. Uh, well, I
3: mean, because obviously all New Yorkers have paid for cable and that's where they go to get their local news
0: from their mayor. Yeah. Tired of this asshole uh, going to the Washington Post, going to MSNBC and going out of town because he knows that even very friendly reporters in New York are going to actually know some stuff and push back a bit to basically drop press releases. Just just putting that out there. We're at the very end, but this is this has irked me for uh this has irked me for eight years. Mm-hmm. I just
2: I can't keep using my mom's and dad's like spectrum login to watch MSNBC. To- mm-hmm. <laughs> I watch it to watch you, Chrissy. Um, when you're on, but hey, listen, I don't
3: have a TV, nor do I have cable. So, <laughs> so but, yeah.
2: I don't watch me right. either. <laughs> but his uh, his announcement was expanding the vaccine mandate to private mm-hmm. employees, uh, private employers, and expanding it to kids. And, and you know, look, I've heard from plenty of people, and these aren't anti-vax people necessarily, but springing it on people, giving them a few weeks' notice. I spoke to a parent last night whose kid goes to private school, and is like, I don't, I can't make a pediatrician appointment you know, to get my kid vaccinated yet or or all this kind of stuff. So that um, is a problem and and announcing it and then saying, but we'll have more details on December 15th. um, It's uh, it's, it's a lot. And Eric Adams has not been as supportive of these vaccine mandates. So everything could change January 1st when he's sworn in, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and we also have to view everything that uh, Bill de Blasio does as a possible campaign um, ad for when he runs for governor. Even on Monday after announcing it, he shot a very bizarre video on Fifth Avenue in Park Slope um, talking about the vaccine mandate, and he tweeted it from his Bill de Blasio Twitter account. So everything he's announced, whether it's the safe injection sites, um, a few hours later, in, in the case of the safe injection sites, he supervises injection sites. He, As he's speaking about it at his press conference, he sends out an email from the BillDeBlasio.com uh, campaign list telling people about it. So everything is just for his future gubernatorial race um, whenever he announces that.
0: And within that, it's pretty clear his plan is to try to get to the left of Tish James and Giovanni Williams, which I might doubts about a whole number of ways. But it's interesting that you're seeing all these policies including uh, very recently Governor Whitmer in Michigan, backing off of the idea of mandates. And de Blasio, who knows he needs to hit some sort of inside straight draw to win this race, is actually betting on the virus and that the extremely assertive, preemptive stuff he's doing uh, will look wise in hindsight. And betting against the city and uh, the, the the idea of a full economic recovery in the process. And I say this, by the way, thinking that de prior to these latest announcements, deserved a ton of credit for pushing city workers to get vaccinated, for sticking with that when the Post had, you know, front pages about yeah. how you're going to die in a fire uh, because, uh, because uh, you know, the mayor is a fascist, basically. He stuck with that. Vaccination rates went way up. People did not die. Lives were saved. Our infection rate is way better than the rest of the state. I think he actually comported himself very well and honorably for a long time. Yeah. And this just seems so cynical and uh, theatrical and and, and ineffectual. Uh, given given that, that he, you know this is not going to be left to him to uh, to, to implement. Um, but Harry, I
2: feel like the,
3: the phrase, the catchphrase for the de Blasio administration and his entire tenure is unforced errors. Like there's so many things that he's done. Where it's like, you know, we have given him credit where credit is due. I think that there's some really solid accomplishments he can tell, but then he'll take something that could be a slam dunk, dunk success and just take it too far or not far enough. And then he shoots himself in the foot. So it's like, you know, for the, in many ways, it's like, okay, you're handling of COVID and making sure we have, you know, municipal employees vaccinated. It's great, safe, all that good stuff. But then he just, he does something else. And it's like, man, we're trying to support you, but you make it so difficult. And then, and then you add on every time I want to hear from you, you're on the international and national media and you, you're allergic to talking to the New York press to actually answer real questions from people from the five boroughs. It's just like you make your life more
2: difficult. Yeah, and I also think, I don't know if, and we've seen this play out a lot of times in his two terms. He doesn't seem to check with the appropriate stakeholders. And you have Kathy Wild, who is sort of the de facto business person. She was surprised by it. Um, The mayor, we saw this play out with the specialized high school. And the mayor is only now in the last, it feels like weeks, expressing he said this on monday and inside city hall his interview with um with hunter but it was discussing with with hunter at hunter college it was a regret in the way that he discussed the specialized high school and not engaging with the predominantly asian community who feel the most impacted by these changes. And there was really no dialogue or discussion with those communities that would be the most impacted, even if he's trying to do something that he believes is right. So that's the same thing with these mandates. Like, you couldn't call Kathy Wilde? Sunday night, hey, guess what? I'm going to be doing this. You know, it's just the heads up that I think people don't get and they really would appreciate.
0: Just a quick counterpoint here. Two-term mayor, you know, wins in a crowded field easily wins re-election once uh, the feds decide not to charge him uh, for his first significant crime set um, in my view there's a second one involving his bribers that, that's carrying over to the adams administration in interesting ways um and i think a lot of these polls have this shamelessness in which they're willing to gamble on positions and if they end up a clown they live with that and they just get up and do it again so de blasio going to iowa yeah. And like walking around by himself and, you know, getting all the way up to zero percent and back again. That's a bit clowning. Um, but he doesn't do that if he doesn't see some land. And he is a very smart political operative, who I think is, is sort of a stoogy frontman for himself. But legally, he's walked through uh, he's walked through raindrops politically in a lot of ways. He's walked through raindrops and he's had a lot of power for a long time on that 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 basis. So I think this uh, gubernatorial run is likely to be uh, hilarious and satisfying. I do not particularly like the man, Um, but I'm also not counting him out. Uh, He's not doing this if he doesn't see a a lane and a shot that could hit.
3: Okay, so then I got to ask this because I've been curious. I don't I definitely don't think that he's an, an idiot by any stretch of the imagination. He clearly understands the campaign phase. He's been successful. I mean, we have to remember, even with low turnout 2013, there was no runoff. Like he won fair and square, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. And there was no conversation about, you know, grift or theft or you know, Mm -hmm. uh, did he really get the nomination? He got it. And and he didn't even have a challenger for his second term. I mean, so there's something about him that he's got more shark in him than people give him credit for. When it comes to the governor's race, though, I am thoroughly scratching my brain to think about New Yorkers. I'm sure that there's some national folks who like him. They see him on MSNBC and we get it. But as far as a New York voting base, I don't know who he's got, right? Because yes, we know Black voters have stuck with him time and time again. We can have a whole nother episode as to why that is (laughs) and why Black voters stick with white politicians (laughs) to the end, Um, the loyalty
0: (laughs) factors, (laughs) I want to talk with Bill Thompson about this.
3: Yes. Well, I think he'd mm, be
0: fascinating as as the (laughs) black guy who de Blasio ran against and and beat without a runoff to get himself elected mayor.
3: Well, Bill Thompson was also mealy mouthed about stop and frisk. So you can't be a black man talking about Mm -hmm. the biggest issue of the campaign trial or campaign season in 2013 was stop and frisk. And he couldn't give a definitive answer. Mm -hmm. So that's a whole, you know, we can talk to him about it. But it's like Bill Thompson and also Bill Thompson. Where have you been? Right, um, in these conversations we've had, it's you know, exactly. But you know, we've had a lot of racialized conversations, so it's like, hey, Bill Thompson, either you're in or you're out, right? Um, but with De Blasio, I just, who who are the donors? That's one. I mean, you can always find money, right? There's always somebody who's like, hey, you know, having a former mayor as a friend is not a bad thing. But who are the voters is more important. We know Long Island is dead. <laughs> we know that the five boroughs. You know, if you've got Tish and you've got Jumani, you've got Kathy slash Benj- Brian Benjamin, even though Brian didn't really pull in votes for the controllers race and, you know, his his tenure in Harlem's somewhat light, I would still argue that Kathy Hochul slash Benjamin Ticket, Tish James, and also Jumaane Williams will get a large percentage of this downstate five borough voting block. So de Blasio doesn't really have a strong base upstate to my knowledge you know you might pull in some progressives from buffalo but we see that you know they lost the right the writing campaign (laughs) so it's it's it might be quality but it's definitely not quantity and then you sort of travel throughout the very purple with red undertones New York State I just don't see who's interested in Bill de Blasio
2: yeah I agree with you um I don't know. Maybe he's, he's even thinking more. I know when he ran for president, he, he didn't, he said he did it to win, right? He was in it. He ran to win. He didn't run for anything else, but maybe in this case, he's thinking um, smartly where he's like, look, I could do this, get a little, spend a little bit more time in the spotlight while I find the next thing, like a rebound, you know, like, let me just jump to this thing, the warm comfort of a campaign, raise some <laughs> money, do my thing. And then in the meantime, I can figure out, okay, what else am I going to do with my life? You know, because I think it's a I I'm very fascinated in in people leaving office, right. You know, someone like Scott who has been in office for years, just people who the mayor, all these people who've been in elected office and what happens when it's over. Um, and I think, you know, maybe that's like someone should go to a spiritual retreat or I, I know that sounds like a joke, but I mean it seriously. It's like mm-hmm. a large part of your life is over and, and how do you adjust to it?
3: So, mm-hmm.
2: You know, well, I, I, yeah. I mean, Bill
3: Bill DeBazio has been really good in the campaign phase of his tenure. Yeah. And I know that he is somewhat addicted to campaigning. Right. I mean, we saw even when he should have been in the governance phase, he was more interested in the campaign phase. But I think my my confusion, honestly, is when you look at the map of i mean my my first years here in my intro to politics class can tell you we've talked enough about this you look at a map of new york state and you try and find who a bill de Blasio gubernatorial voter would be and i don't i mean yes there're going to be some sprinkles but like i don't see a path in any scenario that i can lay out well, i mean one you know one extreme scenario but other than that no.
0: The only politicians I could think of who ended up going on spiritual retreats offhand are Eric Schneiderman oh, yeah. and Jim McGreevy.
2: Didn't Carlos Menchaca have a spiritual guide like working for him? Like a shaman of sorts, a life coach, I
3: think. That's that not a retreat, the- though. It's right, not yeah, a retreat.
0: Yeah. If you're doing it while you're in office, that's a whole other I game. I mean,
2: what about
3: the guy who went to the Appalachian Mountains with his mistress? That could technically yeah. be a retreat.
0: Stanford, he's switched parties since. Um-
2: <laughs> I mean, technically, it's like, I'm going to go on a hike. I, I'm just concerned <laughs> with the emotional well being, genuinely, of a lot of people because mm-hmm. we've all had to face changes in our lives and what's mm-hmm. going to happen. And, um, Yeah, it's I I hope I really do truly wish the best for everyone, including Bill de Blasio. Well, you know why, Katie, because he's a public servant.
3: Like and at the end of the day, these are people who choose to dedicate a large portion of their lives to to A, be open books. Their families are exposed. They give themselves over to the city or whatever office they're in for 24 hours a day. So there's a, a deep level of appreciation we have, but I think that there's a level of pragmatism that is missing with Bill de Blasio in these last few moves, which makes me feel like someone in his inner circle needs to sit down. It's like, hey, guy, because he's also at the age where it's like, you know, we're in, we're in the middle of crisis stage. So it's like, what's going on, buddy? Like, what do we need? What do we need? You know, well, yeah, a lot of a his in. 2013
0: crew has tried intervening and like yeah. over the last few years and just sort of, sort of time, time to pull the plug on different things uh-huh. and, and and privately and then publicly. And he has not been uh, receptive to this point, to those sorts of interventions. And I do think you're right that that's with every preceding New York mayor uh, in my lifetime, there's not a logical next elected office step for him.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I thought that um, on primary night when um, Andrew Yang lost, you know, he got in fourth place and I just thought, I hope Evelyn, is Evelyn going to sit down with him tomorrow and just say like, Andrew, we got to talk. Let's, we can go get breakfast, but we got to talk about the, you know, that's, isn't that the whole point of being married? I hope my future husband, if I'm doing something really crazy, will just sit me down and say like, let's talk.
3: Yeah, but I mean, like Andrew Yang is pathological. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) I I don't, don't, I honestly, yeah, I I think that, yeah, I think they're similar in in a lot of ways. I think both of them, uh, there's, there's a, there's a cog missing in their, in their understanding of themselves and how they fit into the world. Andrew Yang, especially, I think he, he's, he's just off when it comes to that.
2: You know, at the end of the day, you're just left with yourself to quote, I guess to partially quote Billy Joe, you know, either way, it's okay wake (laughs) up with yourself. That's it. Um, So, yeah.
0: This is my life. So broken (laughs) cogs, broken cogs, smooth transitions bad machines let's bring in state senator Zellner murray <laughs> senator Zellner murray thank you for uh joining us once again um i'm eager to talk about uh this report from the uh, senate elections committee that you chair what i see is basically hygienic uh, reform recommendations for new york to, to get to uh better administered elections. This has been a longstanding point of embarrassment. So I'd love it if you'd go through a little bit of sort of the arbitrary history of how we got to the system we have and how it's changed in recent years and what you see as the uh, path to uh, improving it from here. And then I think I'm going to press you a bit on the uh, politics of making any of that actually happen.
1: Uh, Sounds good. Firstly, uh, Harry always good to be with you, Good to be Uh, with the FAQ family Um, uh, excited to be back Uh, it's been a while Uh, as you mentioned this has been a long standing issue that we have dealt with um, uh, as a public uh, and and certainly as a a legislature uh, and that is the 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 functioning or as some might characterize it the dysfunctioning of the board of elections Uh, and it's important to note you know we go through this in the in the report and if you haven't had a chance to read it Uh, cozy up uh, with a nice warm cup of tea uh, and a blanket and and go through, it's almost 50 pages um, of good stuff in there. The history of the Board of Elections is very interesting. Uh, There was at its inception, it's really the police department, uh, at least here in New York City, that was running our elections. Uh, And Then in an effort to reform, uh, the great reformers of Tammany Hall, uh, uh, decided that there needed to be more civilian uh, involvement in, in the Board of Elections, which was really, uh, as you might imagine, an opportunity for them to give jobs to those who were, were loyal uh, to Tammany Hall. Uh, and then over time, there were uh, infusions of bipartisanship uh, that on uh, on its face were meant uh, to act as a check and a balance, but um, really uh, was an attempt again, uh, to control the individuals that were running our elections. Uh, And, you know, over time, uh, we have seen uh, progressives and I think good government groups who were well-intentioned that insisted on things like a bipartisan structure, uh, that each Democrat appointment should also have a Republican appointment. Uh, But we saw uh, some bad things come of that. Um, And I think that was, you know, gets us to about 60 to 70 years ago, um, uh, uh where we the most uh, modern uh version or iteration of the board of elections um was was born and um i no, no need to tell your listeners after every single election there is a headline there is something that has been bungled uh, there is some example of incompetence and we have become a source unfortunately of national embarrassment uh and so what we attempted to do this year in the senate uh, was to actually put pen to paper on what we can do to help with this dysfunction what can we do to help with the better administration of our boards uh, so it's, you know it's it's a much easier and cathartic thing to rant on twitter um, and I join in on those rants uh, just to be clear uh, when things go wrong but we went across the state starting right here in Brooklyn, uh, and then you know we went upstate, we went to Syracuse, we went to Rochester, we went to Westchester, and we concluded in Albany. Uh, and we did something that's unusual for uh, the Senate. We didn't have the government groups come and testify first. We actually had voters come in and testify. Uh, we had people from the community, we had poll workers in some of the more rural areas, we had their commissioners come, uh, but we saved the New York City Board of Elections for the last hearing, uh, uh, and then we collected all of that, analyzed it, and we put it into this report. Uh, and then we made a number of recommendations that can loosely be broken into structural and operational reforms. Uh, and you know, I'm sure we'll we'll get into some of that. Uh, but that is my hope that this serves as a basis for legislative action in the next uh, session.
0: So one of the interesting issues that comes up here is that we have these boards, plural of election, and we have a state one that says it's not exactly here to oversee the local ones and very different standards from, from place to place. One interesting nugget related to that. I learned reading this report, which is full of fascinating history uh, about the system we have and a reminder of how arbitrary, uh, capricious and uh, appoints, a. Uh, uh, racist or, or, or having racially uh, disproportionate results, uh, all this has been is that uh, for a long time in New York City, you had to register every single year to vote. And there was actually a pretty limited window. I believe it was the October before the November election to register. And if you did not register, you were purged from the rolls. And this was actually or ostensibly about fraud, but it was different from everywhere else in the state. Uh, where where once you were registered, you you, you carried over and and could simply vote again in a way I I think more people would expect. How how much of this history would you say, and I think this has been a large part of your uh, your Senate tenure to date, uh, has has been about trying to uh, limit or uh, suppress or control who votes? And how much of this has been about um, fraud, which at various points in our history, there have been real concerns about and, and other ones real scares about?
1: Yeah, this is a really good point, Harry. So, the instances of fraud um, at the board's inception uh, were not infrequent. Uh, these were, um, uh, you know, as we talk about all the time, Tammany Hall folks who were trying to control who was coming out to the elections. And let me, you know, point out that in our history, uh, the groups that have been excluded. Once they have attained power, um, they then partake in some of that exclusion, uh, and, and it's, it's it's a really ironic thing that speaks to the systemic rot, uh, and, and not just the individuals that occupy uh, these spaces, and why we have to look at the the entirety of the system. Uh, so, so that having to register every year uh, was was a control mechanism, uh, so they knew who was coming out, um, and and they and they knew who they could drive uh, to, to the polls. Uh, but the remnants of that, uh, remain, uh, not just here in New York city, but throughout the state. And we have put barriers up to registration. Uh, as you know, the unfortunate, um, failing of one of our ballot proposals, uh, would have made it uh, easier for folks to register, um, on, on the day of election. But even before that, uh, just this year in the New York 22nd congressional district, you had um, uh, close to 200 people who had registered to vote, did it the right way, no failure on their part, showed up to the polls and were told that they weren't registered to vote. uh, And they didn't have their affidavit ballots counted either. And remember that that congressional race was the last race called in the entire country and was decided by under 200 votes. So, So we're talking about, uh, uh, uh voter registration suppression not happening during the days of tammany hall but happening right now here uh and, and this is uh, again why it's important for us and why we thought it was important to look at the entirety of of the history here so that we cannot not repeat it as we have been
0: so one of the complications with these reforms always is that you you have all these overlapping systems so you have uh, local boards that the state isn't doing all that much to state board and the state are not doing all that much to oversee. You have state laws that you can change that will apply statewide. You have others that would demand a change in the New York constitution. And that means a whole rigmarole that ends up with uh, uh, taking things to the voters. Now, we just went through that in this year's 2021 election, which had unbelievably miserable turnout. And and this frustrates me because New Yorkers, yourself included, You've you you brought uh, early voting here, which has been a massive, massive improvement, and uh, something you deserve great credit for. That said, while, while while we're protesting about Republican states and restrictions, people in New York are, are simply not turning out. A significantly smaller share of the city voted for Eric Adams than for Bill De Blasio, for instance, in the general election. Um, you know, if you're not a registered Democrat, you can't show up. And in the course of this, there were these three ballot measures that I think. I'll say, I don't think you're going to, the, the, the Democrats assume we're going to sail through because it was going to be low turnout court, democratic voters showing up. And they're like, yeah, whatever. If there's a thing here, just check. Yes. Um, the proposals were for starters, uh, proposal one, particularly completely unreadable. If you went in and, and read this thing on your ballot and hadn't studied up on it and you had any idea what you were voting for, you are much, much smarter than me, for instance. Um, Two of the three were, were, to my view, pretty simple and clean that failed and failed dramatically as Republicans campaigned statewide against it and Democrats did very little to uh, inform voters these were even here. One of them would have created same-day voter registration and one of them would have allowed anyone to request an absentee ballot, um, which I think a number of people actually got in the habit of doing during, I've talked to during the virus who would like to be able to continue voting that way. The first one, however, had like 62 moving parts. With something of a rigmarole, I would have locked the number of state senators at 63. Um, it would have done, in my view, very good things with making sure people are incarcerated or counted from the communities they live in rather than where they're locked up. Uh, you know, So, so the, 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 they're not effectively subsidizing the jails they're locked in. Um And then it would have screwed around with this independent redistricting commission that had been set up in a way that to me reads just as a straight up uh, power grab by Democrats, maybe understandably in a national context uh, where Republicans are doing the same thing in other states. And you got to keep the score even. Uh, But the voters had agreed to and that would have created independent redistricting here and effectively given that back to the legislature, which is dominated now by Democrats. So that's a mouthful. But all three of these things failed. Two of them match up with the sort of sharp, hygienic proposals you're offering in this report. Uh, I think Republicans are deeply suspicious of any reform to boards of elections. That means you don't have a bipartisan board, one Democrat and one Republican doing everything, which is on the one hand, some patronage bullshit. But on the other hand, is one of the few remaining Republican levers of control in the state. And I think that they'd be able to campaign against in a pretty effective way. Do you really trust these guys to keep everything fair? And without any check on them, so so given all that, I'm just hoping you can talk a little about why these things failed so um, embarrassingly, and uh, what that says about the prospects for for getting particularly things that voters have to approve through in later cycles. Like what, what lessons can be learned, and, and what what allows for success next time around.
1: Yeah, so <clears throat> um, really good question and commentary. You know, I will. I think you pointed this out in one of your columns that the voter turnout remaining so embarrassingly low is really an indictment on the entire system. The part of my mantra has been to take New York from worst to first. And when I talk about worse, it has been in the context of voter participation. And I think the failure of the ballot proposals is analogous to, why, to, to, to the actual uh, uh, density of the language. And what do I mean? No regular person could understand uh, much of the language that was proposed, Uh, even though these were really good things, and even though these were things that many of the voters had themselves become accustomed to. That failure to speak directly to people, to speak in a way that they understand, to to, to put it plainly, as, as folks like to say, that is also how we have done government. And that's why people don't participate, uh, because we're oftentimes talking about uh, everything else other than the things people care about. Uh, And even when we're successful, certainly on the democratic side, we don't speak plainly about the victory and we don't speak plainly about what the government can actually do for you. Now on the political side, This was an abject failure by the state Democratic Party. Uh, We were outspent. We were caught flat footed. There was no leadership on this. And we allowed for the misinformation to flourish uh, simply because we didn't invest anything in it.
0: Did, Did you or others press Jay Jacobs, Andrew Cuomo at the time or others in the party who I think are who you're pointing to for the abject failure as this was happening? Or was this only clear after the fact?
1: You know i think some of it was only clear after the fact some of the pressing uh is 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 above my my pay grade i you know i oftentimes the, 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 the defer um uh, to, to the leadership on that uh but i i know in my district i sent out a mailer on these uh constitutional proposals uh and explained it said this is what is happening i didn't tell people how to vote uh but i said here is what's going on um and my understanding is that that just did not take place Across um, across the rest of the state, and there certainly wasn't any political spending. Uh, and so, I am uh, I'm mortified that we can be complacent in a year where people stormed the capital of our nation in the name of our elections. I am mortified that every single Democrat does not take elections seriously. That they do not take democracy seriously. It is quite literally under attack. This isn't hyperbole. Uh, This isn't us being on the campaign stump. They stormed the Capitol, and they were ready to kill Congress members. Like, if that doesn't move you uh, and that doesn't shake you into saying, we need to open up our um, elections, make sure they are credible, make sure we have integrity in the system, then I'm not sure what else um, is going to move you. So to your last question on. What are the prospects for some of the things that we have recommended to be done? Uh, My hope is that in the face of this national trend of Republican legislatures using every tool at their their disposal to restrict the franchise, in the face of our ballot proposals going down, uh, in the face of Republicans spending a lot of money, that we will not take this for granted, that we won't take the electorate for granted, uh, you know, the funny thing about election administration is that it's not the sexiest topic, Harry. You know, uh, people don't um, uh, get very excited about uh, the inner workings of the Board of Elections, but elections it
0: is. administration.
1: Right, exactly. That exactly. was my sexy voice. Exactly, exactly. It's a elections administration after dark. Um, uh, you know, no no, no, no one is listening to that, right? Um, uh, uh, but, but, But the problem is, The administration of our elections, it is the operating software of our democracy. It It is what keeps us going. It is the infrastructure on which everything else is built. If those things are crumbling, the same way we chaired for President Biden when we passed the big infrastructure bill, this is the same deal. This is the infrastructure of our democracy. This is how our decisions are made. So we better get this right. Because if we don't, Republicans will continue to use New York City as an example of incompetence, of potential fraud, of all of the things and all of the misinformation they put out. So I'm hoping my colleagues take this very seriously uh, because we need to move on it and we need to move on it now.
0: So so one of the asymmetries, as the report notes, is that Trump mocked uh, the New York City Board of Elections for screwing everything up and creating confusion yet again. And by the way, it's not like the other county boards in the state have all done such wonderful jobs. Um, and and that's been successful for rallying Republicans nationwide. Conversely, you know, if people were really concerned about democracy in this year where where, where people stormed the Capitol and looked to kill legislator, legislators and maybe the uh, vice president too, just why not? Mm-hmm. Uh, it did not Register in, in people thinking they needed to show up and participate in New York uh, City or, or state elections this year uh, with with the ballot measures, and that seems troubling to me. Uh, I know there's been talk. First off, I should mention this report specifically is about sort of sort of what I, I keep calling the hygienic process, like just cleaning up elections, making sure they work that you, it's transparent, you can see see the gears, and this is functional, and it excludes other ideas for reforms as, as sort of outside of this scope. Uh, to me, two of the big ones are moving New York's elections, New York cities, to a uh, to a less crappy year uh, when there are other things on the ballot and consequently people vote so you have less elections. And there are complications with that in part because of what it might mean for smaller counties and places around the state where there are where the, elections that are of great significance there get totally overshadowed potentially in that event. The other one which I've written about is uh, nonpartisan primaries. And my view is anyone with any common sense thinks this is a good idea because then you have a general election that's worth a damn between the two leading candidates. Right. And those can both be Democrats. California has the system. In New York, they generally very likely would be, instead of a joke of a general election, which is even worse after the reform I believe you helped pass, moving the primary to June. So we have less separate elections. But that means we're not talking about a, a joke election from, from June to November with uh, you know, Eric Adams against whatever, uh, uh, clown man, yep. Curtis yep. Slewa, uh, for these purposes. Um, my understanding is Republicans like having partisan primaries because they maintain some control over their own separate processes in a state where they have almost no power. Democratic regulars like partisan primaries because they have a, a bunch of habitual older voters who always show up, and those are the only people who show up, it guarantees that they win. And progressives like this because they understand that the Democratic regulars are lazy, um, and and the, the, the system is kludgy, and consequently, if you go out, do the work, and get just a few thousand younger voters in the district to show up and vote, that's enough to knock things over. But the, the end result is everyone seems staked who has political power now in keeping a system in which fewer people part- significantly Fewer people participate than otherwise would, and we have significantly fewer actually competitive elections. And I'd just be interested in your thoughts on that and the prospect of that changing in your own position.
1: Yeah, so <clears throat> um, you know, I think I think we 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 disagree a little uh, on the on the on the nonpartisan elections, and perhaps I'm not uh, entirely objective there uh, because I, I have to run in these uh, primaries and and these elections. You know, and I think there's something to be said about individuals knowing uh, the brand of the party and knowing uh, what that individual might stand for, even if they don't have uh, all of the information readily available to them. But
0: you can just have their name on the ballot, like like they do in California. So 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 you know, I, I would be a Harry Siegel dash Democrat if I was crazy enough to, or honorable enough to run for office. <laughs>
1: uh, both both crazy and honorable. Um. Uh. And 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 so. You know, I, th- I think I think that 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 merits a, a larger discussion, but but I want to hit at a point that I think you're making um, uh, that I've also heard in the election administration uh, context. Uh, and that is this requirement that you be either a Democrat or a Republican uh, to get a job uh, and to be a poll worker Right, that excludes almost a million New Yorkers uh, from serving. In this capacity, and these are folks, and we heard from them. They testified, and they said, "What makes a Democrat or a Republican more capable to handle the polls or to handle a job at the Board of Elections than me, uh, simply because of my party affiliation?" Uh, and you know, one of the recommendations that we make is that we remove that requirement uh, for most of the jobs at the Board of Elections. Now, the 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 Constitution requires us um, to keep that bipartisan structure. For certain tasks, uh, and so when you're thinking about the counting of absentee ballots, you know that is something that I think a lot of people enjoy the bipartisan nature of that, uh, such that you know individuals aren't picking the winners, um, and people are uh, overseeing that. But that is not required for a lot of the back end and administrative work uh, that any qualified individual or poll worker uh, should be able to do. So I'm hoping that we see some movement on that. And you know the interesting thing about the elections and off years, I couldn't agree more uh, that it has only served those um, uh, who, who had the institutional power. Uh, and, and funny enough, Harry, we heard throughout the state uh, for the town elections, the village elections, the school board elections, the water board elections, the sewer board elections, that they would prefer for all of these to be consolidated as well. Uh, because they are extremely low turnout. It isn't like in, we have we have low turnouts in our big elections. These are even worse and more abysmal. And they say it's also the timing. There are there are counties where you can have a, a board election in March and then have a sewer election in April um, and then have a town election and village election in May and then have the primaries in June, uh, which it just completely nonsensical, a waste of resources, and also encourages voter fatigue. Uh, and so we, you know, that is, I think, something that we're hoping to move on. Uh, it's a recommendation uh, of ours, and, and, I, and I think that um, it completely makes sense to get more people involved. And then, and maybe we, we, we should just stay tuned on the nonpartisan uh, um, uh, primaries or general elections. Uh, I, my understanding is that you know um new york is a bit anomalous in, in in maintaining the current structure there are many other jurisdictions uh that have the non-partisan um uh, structure and i'm open to i'm open to having that discussion
0: i expect that there's going to be legislation that doesn't exist yet but will shortly uh discussing this and i think it's going to be a, a real uh moment of truth uh for for the groups i mentioned that i think are vested in the present system but but for those people who are seriously concerned about elections, and sort of understand the limitations. I do think it's probably the single thing that would have the most significant impact on turnout and, consequently, the uh, the legitimacy of our our, our elections. In a, in a one party state, having uh, having general elections between two parties uh, becomes absurd. I know Professor Greer, you know, points out New York is not all blue, and she's entirely right. Uh, New York City isn't even all blue, but it's it's close, and and it's just helpful, I think, to have. A, you know, contest the pit two viable candidates against each other and force each to respond to the uh, to the other. Um, Senator Myrie, we always appreciate your time. I don't want to take too much of it, but I, I do hope that you'd go through the uh, so, sort of the, the the big recommendations you have at the end of the report and uh, tell me outside the uh, scope of the report what you see as the uh, most important uh, uh, potential reforms or changes you, you'd like to see in the coming years and as you keep working on these issues.
1: Yeah, so you know, I will um, uh, be very brief because the the report I think does a good job of detailing and explaining uh, the recommendations. But the overarching themes for us are transparency, a um, uh, 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 professionalization, uh, and really accountability. And so when you you know you've mentioned a number of times, Harry, the state board of elections actually doesn't serve as an oversight entity for our local boards. And so what ends up happening is you have one board conducts business this way and another board does it the other way. And even within New York City, our borough offices have different processes. There's no standardization. Uh, And so uh, we recommend that the state board or some other entity, you know, in 36 other states, they have a secretary of state that handles the elections. Um, So that's worthy of conversation, Uh, but some statewide entity that will standardize the process for all of the boards Uh, that will train the boards on a regular basis. The commissioners themselves um, are not subject to any training, testing. There's no qualifications uh, uh, for uh, commissioners. It's really at the whim um, of their political patrons uh, who appoint them. And there's no way for the public to then hold them accountable and say, you're not doing your job let's remove that. Uh, And so we make a number of recommendations both in New York City and outside of New York City that the appointing of commissioners uh, be subject to hearings and a transparent process uh, that the senior staff at these boards of elections also be um, uh, transparent, that the jobs be listed. I know that sounds ridiculous and you're like, what? But many of the jobs are not even listed. Uh, there's no job description. Uh, and, and, and on the accountability piece, that there be an ability to remove bad acting commissioners uh, that right now that's in the hands of the governor. The governor has never, ever, ever once removed a board of elections commissioner uh and so we think that that process needs to be overhauled uh, and then there's just like some basic you know notification to voters on poll changes uh on, on how that needs to 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 be standardized uh, with the absentee ballot counting process um how that needs to be sped up and standardized uh and then um sort of outside of this report Um, we there is a strong and we we make it on the sort of last page um, that we have no voting rights canon in our law. What does that mean? If you have to go to court uh, because of something that happened uh, at the poll or you feel your right has been infringed, there is nothing in the law that instructs the court to say we should presume that your vote counts and then have the evidence say that it doesn't. Right, we do this in other contexts um, when it's your constitutional right. Like we presume that people are innocent before they are guilty. Uh, that that is. I'm sorry. Did you want to jump in? Ahead? I,
0: I, I, this was on my question list. Uh, so so the way it's listed in the report is shift the burden of proof from voters having approved new election laws or rules are discriminatory, instead requiring jurisdictions or board of elections to prove uh, that they are not. So, so this has been a very interesting era for concerns about uh, disparate outcomes, uh, among other things, much more broadly. And, and I'm just hoping you can explain what, what that burden of proof means. Does this mean that, that any um, change to election processes uh, first, there's going to be some process in which a board of elections would have to go through to, to prove that it would not have a discriminatory impact? or intent or or, or what exactly does that mean? Because I I could read that a whole number of ways.
1: No, it's a great question. And what it really does is it functions like the Federal Voting Rights Act that we had before the Supreme Court eviscerated it in 2013. So what we used to have um, in Section 5 of the Federal Voting Rights Act, which many consider to be the strongest and best civil rights law this country has ever had, Section five said, if you are a board of elections and you want to make a change, you have to submit that change to the attorney general, what is known in the business as pre-clearance, before that change goes into effect. Now, if that change had a potential disparate impact on individuals, the Department of Justice would respond and say, actually, this is going to have a disparate impact. You can't do this, or you can do this, but only in this way. The Supreme Court said that is no longer needed. We don't need pre-clearance. We are in a post-racial society. There is no discrimination. Nothing needs to be done.
0: Wait, but in New York State, in New York State, would this go to our elected? Uh, attorney general who, uh, for instance, is presently running for governor or, or who, who who would make these
1: determinations? So, so on the, under the old, under the federal law, this was the United States attorney general. It was the department of justice. What we are proposing is a New York voting rights act, which would kick it to our attorney general. Uh, and, and the attorney general's office would then make those determinations. Now, this again is, is meant to be prophylactic, so that 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 you, um, yeah, the voter, doesn't um, have to prove in every instance uh, what is happening, but that instead, um, board of elections, knowing that they're going to have to pre-clear, just avoid instituting rules and doing things that would run afoul um, of of this disparate impact analysis. And that's not me just that's not conjecture. After the Voting Rights Act passed. Um, in 1964, we saw a massive change in how our elections were administered and the protections of people's rights. Uh, And we saw in 2013, when it was struck down, a massive increase in voter ID laws and changes and restrictions to the franchise. And so uh, my hope is that we can pass a New York Voting Rights Act. Uh, We have named it after John R. Lewis, Um, who, as many of your listeners know, was a champion uh, and a legend in this space. Uh, And my hope is that we can get it done. We often think of voter discrimination as something that is cabin to the South, uh, but it happens right here in the state of New York. We mentioned the New York 22nd earlier in the program, uh, but in Schenectady and in Rochester um, and in other parts of Long Island, there have been instances where we have had to sue as a state because of the discrimination happening in this context. Uh, So my hope is that we can get that across the finish line, in addition to uh, all of the recommendations that we've made.
0: Last, last question here. So when you want to get rid of these bipartisan boards and replace them with uh, competent administrators, uh, another way of saying that is you want to take people's money away. And it's a handful of people who are getting a lot of money and an even smaller handful of people who are deciding who gets that money with the non-listed jobs. And my cousin, Frank, knows this guy, Charlie, and such business. So I, I, I don't even have a back of the envelope sense for the whole state of what that is. But let's say if just for conversation, we're talking about $50 million in, uh, in nice salaries and benefits. And uh, this is what he to be doing for the next uh, 20 years for, I don't know, 35 hours a, a, a week, 35 weeks a year or so. Good jobs. Do you have a, uh, and I'm sure you would not frame it this way, any sense of a potential uh, bribe pool? Like OTBs or authorities or other things, and the report does touch on this much more delicately. That that, that that this would be a big disruption for the people who are there to offer to the people who presently have these jobs to Republicans who don't want to lose this patronage, a remaining source of power. Here's where we're replacing this uh, this cash or a way that might work, or does this have to necessarily be a brute force, brute political force play?
1: Yeah. So you know, my my vision for this is. Uh, let, let me first say that. Many of the employees at the boards of elections, they're coming and working in good faith. they're, they're hardworking, they're trying to get the job done uh, and oh, by, and yeah. by and large do get do get them done. And so uh, you know I've, I've, I've been very careful in um, the framing that you know when we talk about professionalization, the implication is that everybody there is not a professional, which of course is not true. Uh, that we have many professionals there. Um, And many people that have served, I think, with great dignity. The problem is we can't view the Board of Elections as a jobs program um, um, because it is the guardian of our democracy. And so, you know, one of the witnesses who came, uh, came before the committee said something to the effect of, I don't mind patronage as long as the patrons are competent. Uh, which which I thought uh, was 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 pretty funny, uh, but but the but the the, the larger point I took um, was that we have to on a continuing basis ensure that individuals who are working at these boards are competent, capable individuals. There is a lot of talk about civil service and equating the 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 the, the work that individuals do um, uh, to that uh, process. I think there is a way for us to move folks in that direction, uh, and my hope uh, is that uh, individuals who are currently working uh, at the board uh, would really want to be a part of a structure that encourages their own competence, right? Imagine if you are a hardworking individual at the board, that you do everything correctly, and boom, there is a headline that says, here we go again, the board of elections. How demoralizing is it uh, for you to be someone who is good and doing your job uh, and to always be maligned in the press and in public, uh, I think it's in everybody's interest that the, the, the standards be elevated uh, and that we have the best people uh, at the job. I think a lot of those um, folks are there now, and but there are individuals who are not, um, and I think for them, uh, this may not be the job for you.
0: Senator Myrie, thank you again for uh, taking the time. It's always a pleasure to talk and I, I wish you well with, uh, with, with with all this and everything to come and in this election year uh, about to come up.
1: Thank you so much. It is uh, always a pleasure to be to be with you, Harry, and to be on FAQ. Uh, please do invite me back. I hope my next visit is to talk about how we got it done uh, and then and then what more we have left to do.
0: Cheers. We'll talk to you then and maybe even before then.
1: Okay, sounds good. Sounds good. FAQ.
2: FAQ
3: NYC is a production of Racket Media and a proud member of the Brookhouse Cooperative of Independent Journalists and Artists. We're headquartered at NYU's McSilver Institute for Poverty Policy and Research and recorded this week from the boroughs of Brooklyn and Manhattan. A special thank you to our guests this week my state senator Zoner myrie from the great borough of brooklyn our executive producers alex brooklyn and adam Kamara mixed and edited this episode be well wear a mask get your booster if you need to and have a wonderful holiday season talk to you
0: soon